Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 12. God has given each of you who are believers a spiritual gift. And it is entirely possible that he has given you more than one spiritual gift. The moment you were saved, you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the Spirit of God indwelt you and made you something different than you were before. And I want to ask you a question. How long have you been saved? How many years have you been saved? And do you know after all these years, what your spiritual gift is? Are you exercising it for the benefit of the entire church? Or if you were saved this year, you have already received your gift or gifts from the Spirit of God, and so you will need to discover what those gifts are, how you may be able to use them for the profit of all. So we began our study last week, first few verses of chapter 12. And uh, we learned a couple of things. First of all, that there are a variety of gifts that the Spirit of God has given. So each individual Christian has one or more, but there's a variety of gifts. Second, we learned that there are a variety of ministries. So you may have a gift of teaching, let's say, and you may, there may be a variety of ministries, ways you can minister the gift of teaching. Could be to young people, could be to teenage, could be to young adults, it could be to old people like me. So whatever that ministry is, God has made you uniquely qualified for that ministry and gifted you so that you might serve him in his church. Then it says a variety of activities So you may have the same gift as somebody else in the church, but it may be expressed in a different way. Your ministry might be um, caring for the the children in the Sunday school, or it might be uh, visiting the uh, invalids in their home or in a hospital or so on. But whatever the gift is, whatever the ministry is, whatever the service is, it's for the profit of the whole body. It's interesting to me as I, as I read about this that the gifts are distributed to each person individually and uniquely by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not our choice. You can't say, well, I, I don't want to have the gift of teaching. Um, God uniquely gave you a specific gift uh, so that you might minister. And, he, and he's given you the ability to minister with whatever gift he has given you. And you are, your gifts are as unique to each member as are our fingerprints. So how do we illustrate um, the combination of gifts in the church? We could liken it to a sports team where each player has his or her part to play on the team. And uh, as long as they are effective in their part of the team, the, the whole team benefits from their um, activity and their, their goal obviously is to win. That's their goal. Another way to illustrate it would be a construction project um, where each 
you know, we need a bunch of sub-trades to, to work the construction project to its completion. And as long as each sub-trade faithfully completes their part of the building project, the entire building is finished. But the illustration we have before us today is in uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 31, and it is to do with the uh, human body. So, Luke, can I ask you, can you turn down the outside speaker? It's kind of echoey, thanks. So let's begin reading in verse uh, 12. For as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Well, the illustration is quite simple. You have a human body. You have a body. And your body is one. But your body is made up of many members. Some parts of the body are visible. Some parts are not seen. The parts that I see of your body are more noticeable. But some of your invisible parts that I never see are actually more important than the parts that I do see. Who would want to live? Who could live without a heart or without lungs or without kidneys? And so it is with the body of Christ, the church. Christ is the head and we are the various members of his body or the parts of his body. Jesus is not on earth today. Jesus is in heaven. He is the head of the church. But his body, not his physical body, but the church remains on the earth. And we are uh, currently the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the heart of Jesus as we minister uh, to others uh, in, this, in the church. Verse 13, it says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. There's a tendency for us, anytime we see the word baptized, to immediately think of, oh yeah, I know what baptism is. It's taking somebody and dunking them in the water and uh, bringing them up again. That's what baptism means. Baptism actually, the word baptized simply means to place into. So when you baptize somebody in water, you're placing them into the water. This verse has nothing whatsoever to do with water or, or that kind of baptism. Um, what he is saying here is that we were baptized, for by one spirit we were baptized into one body. What it means is that the Spirit of God, the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God placed you into the body of Christ. That's exactly what it means. So you became part of this organism, the body of Christ, and you are to minister as part of that uh, body. And then it says that we have been made to drink into one spirit. So when he says we've been made to drink into one spirit, he's referring to each believer is indwelt by the spirit of God. So we have been placed into the body and the spirit of God has been placed into us. He lives in us. He dwells in us uh, day by day. So both are true at the moment of salvation. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became part of the body of Christ. And the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God came to dwell in you. Both are true. And at that same moment, you were given the spiritual gift that you have, or the spiritual gifts that you have. Let's look at verse 14. For in fact, 
The body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, oh, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Well, thankfully, the Lord has made the body, um, his body, with a variety of parts. How bizarre it would be if every member of the body were a tongue. Can you imagine a body that was just one massive tongue? Or a big toe? So there is unity in the body, but there is diversity in the body. So we are all one body, part of one body, but we are uniquely members of that one body, uh, different from each other. There's diversity. So the question you need to ask, and I need to ask as we think about this, what part of the body are you? What part are you? And how are you exercising your gift for the health of the whole body? Because every part of my human body has to cooperate with the whole body in order to keep me healthy. And that is the, sa the same is true of the um, body of Christ, the church. We all have to be working together uh, to one end. And verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, oh, I have no need of you. You know, you can't look at other members of the body and say, look, you don't belong here. I don't want you. Can't, don't need you. Nor again can the head to the feet say, I have no need of you. So as we look at the body of Christ, as we look at the members that God has placed in our midst, we have to look at it and say, look, I can't reject those parts of the body. God has placed them here. Our physical bodies need every part working together for the good of the entire body, and the same is true of the church. If members are missing, if I cut my hand off or cut my arm off, my whole body is going to suffer. And the same is true of the church. And it's not just that we need more preachers and teachers and exhorters. Verse 22 says, no, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. And uh, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. There are parts of my body you have never seen. As a matter of fact, there are parts of my body that I have never seen. And I don't particularly want to see them. They belong on the inside. I have inner parts that will never get the credit that is due to them. I cannot say enough about my heart and my lungs and my liver and my kidneys, my digestive system and my brain. I take them all for granted because they just go along and work just fine. Yet I could not survive without them. And yet they don't get the credit 
that is due to them. Someone comes to you one day and they says, wow, you sure look good today. What are they saying? They're saying, you have a pretty face. You have a nice nose. Your eyes are beautiful. Your hair is gorgeous. Whatever it is that they're saying to you, they're, not, they're talking about what they can see, those parts that are uh, manifest to everybody. But I've never heard someone say, wow, your heart sure looks good today. Even my doctor doesn't say that. What did you do to it that it, that it looks so great? Or, my, what a lovely brain you have. Our body covers and protects the important members. And the, the Bible says here, the verse we read in uh, verse 25, it says, there's no schism in my body. What does that mean? Well, my liver does not get jealous because someone praises my eyes. If someone says, oh, you really have beautiful eyes or nice eyes or I love the blue or whatever it is that they might say, my liver doesn't go, huh, well, you never said that to me. It's quite satisfied to continue serving my body, quietly filtering out impurities, knowing that if it fails to do its job, my eyes are going to turn yellow and nobody's going to praise me then. So my, my inner parts are functioning and they are actually helping my outer parts look, look as good as they do. Okay? And I don't mean I look good, I just am saying that they, what's, what you see looks better than what's inside. I'll tell you that right now. These parts of the body that are unseen are some of the most useful and productive members of my body. And so it is in the body of Christ. Some of the quieter, unseen saints are some of the most effective for Christ and for his body. And we cannot do without them. Verse 26. If, someone, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Ask Sharon. If you had a broken foot, it affects your whole body. There are places she cannot go. There are things she cannot do um, and because of a broken foot. If one member suffers, the whole body suffers. If my heart is healthy, it's not just my heart that rejoices. It's my whole body that rejoices because my heart is healthy. And so you are, the, you are part of the body of Christ. I want to ask you, what, what is your gift? And how are you using it for Christ? You're needed in the body of Christ. Otherwise, the Lord would not have placed you in his body. Verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church. And so now he's going to describe um, what I will call a list of spiritual gifts. This, this is not the only list in the scripture. It is one of at least six different lists of gifts in the scripture. Um, so let's read it, 28. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? 
do all interpret? And the, the assumed answer is no. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So as I said, there are at least six um, lists of gifts in the scripture. We handed out a piece of paper today. Hopefully you have one. If not, you could raise your hand and um, Nick could uh, get you a copy of it. And so on this list, I've taken all of the lists and I've put them in one convenient spot for you. And on this list, there are 20 separate spiritual gifts. Now I have two at the very bottom that some believe are spiritual gifts and some don't think they're spiritual gifts. They're part of a different um, um, hospitality is part of you know, serving or ministering and celibacy is not a gift at all. Um, but we're going to just keep them here. okay? Because I think that uh, we'll see as we go that uh, they're, they're worth taking a look at. So in either case, there are 18 to 20 gifts that the Spirit of God has given to the church um, and he has listed them in different places within the, the scripture. We're going to try to look at them all over the next two weeks, this week and next week. So in Corinthians 12, we actually have two lists, verses 8 through 11, which we skipped over last week, and we're going to skip over again today. But we're going to get to that, Lord willing, next week. But in verses 28 through 31, which we just read, we're going to take each one of the, the gifts that are listed here and go over them one by one. And I'd like you to think about where they fit on this chart. Are the gifts serving gifts or are they speaking gifts? The second thing to consider, are they universal gifts? In other words, they're gifts that were given for the whole church and potentially for the entire church from Pentecost to the rapture, or are they meant for the specific local uh, expression of his body, the, the local church? And then are they the, the duration of the gift? Are, were they given temporarily? Were they given for just a period of time? Are they given permanently, or are we not sure? So those are kind of the um, things to consider as we go through these gifts. And if you have verses you want to use to support your answer, put them down as well. And if you can keep the list until next week, we'll use it um, next week as well. All right, so Paul says, and God has appointed these in the church, verse 28, first apostles. I'm glad he said it that way, first apostles. Apostles were given at the very beginning of the church, um, and they are really foundational gifts for the entire church age. So in this chart, they would actually be under the category of universal. The interesting thing is there are no apostles alive today. The apostles were in the first century, and uh, yet their ministry still carries on to today. We are reading from 1 Corinthians, which was written by the apostle Paul. And so even today, the Apostle Paul still speaks, even though he's been dead for 2,000 years. Apostles were given as a foundational gift at the beginning of the church age, and they are for the benefit of the entire church. Now, in this scripture, just so you know, there are two ways that the word apostle is used. One 
is uh, the word apostle simply means a sent one, somebody who has been sent um, somewhere to do the work of the Lord. And like a missionary, for example, if we sent out the Peaslands to Mexico, they, they go out to Mexico. In, in a lesser sense, they would be considered apostles, sent one. They are not apostles, but it's the same word. The more specific use of the word refers to a select group of men who were raised up by the Lord as the foundation of the early church. They were taught by the Lord. They witnessed his resurrection or him after his resurrection. They were given direct revelation from God. So God spoke directly to them and told them what he wanted written down. 1 Corinthians is an example of that. Um, the New Testament, the entire New Testament is an example of uh, apostles who received direct revelation from the Lord and then wrote it down for the benefit of the entire church. And their messages, whether given audibly or in written form, are the commandments of God. Paul said that, that I give you the commandments of God. This isn't just Paul's opinion. It's just not his feeling at the moment. These are the commandments of God. And their practices, we read in 1 Corinthians 4, 6 and 11, 1, are to be imitated. And he says that, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so they're to be followed. There's an interesting verse in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. And it says this, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so Paul is using a different illustration in Ephesians. Instead of looking at the church as a body, he's looking at it as a building. And so he says that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and everything is built on that. The chief cornerstone upon which the building is constructed is Jesus Christ. The apostles and the prophets were the foundation and the rest of us who came after them are the building itself, okay, above the foundation level. Some years ago, I was given the privilege of supervising the construction of the chapel here. And um, when we built this building, everything had to be done in order. We couldn't start with the roof because we had no walls. We couldn't put the walls up because we had no foundation. And so there's a starting point in every building project and in every building project that's going to last any length of time, you have to start with a foundation. And so I called a number of people to come and to dig the hole for the foundation. And we uh, had them build the forms that uh, hold the cement in a particular place and not, you know, spread all over the, all over the um, property. We had the guys come in and put the rebar in the forms before the foundation was poured. We had the cement trucks come back up and start pouring the cement all over the place and the guys began pouring and patting it down and making the foundation. Well, all of that work on the chapel building was so that we could build the building. And once the foundation was poured, we never had to pour the foundation again. It was done. And so there was no more need for the cement trucks no more need for the guys that were putting the rebar in because it was already finished. And the foundation was laid and we never did it again. And the apostles were given 
the privilege of laying the foundation. In fact, they were the foundation upon which the church was built, and it never has to be laid again. But since the foundation was completed, you don't need apostles anymore. There's no more need for apostles today. And so that gift ceased after the apostles passed away. And so I'm going to just illustrate or state it this way. Since there are no persons on earth today who were taught directly by the Lord, and since there is no one alive today who saw the resurrected Lord, and since God is no longer giving new revelation because we already have the completed word of God, and since the foundation of the church has already been laid, the gift was a temporary gift in the first century church and is no longer available today. But the entire church benefits from it because we build upon that foundation to this day. So I would say duration, temporary, okay? And it's important to realize that some of the gifts were given for a specific time and they ceased. This is one of them. So I can stand here this morning and tell you emphatically that you do not have the gift of an apostle, okay? So out of the 20 gifts, I know that that's not one you have, okay? Just, just rest assured. So now you're down to 19. Let's take a look at the next one, prophets. In verse 28, he said, second, prophets. When God chooses to reveal something about himself, or he wants to speak about future events, or he wants to reveal some hidden mysteries that he has um, kept to himself, he usually does so through prophets. He chooses specific individuals, and he gives them the gift of prophecy, and they are permitted to receive direct revelation from God. What is direct revelation? It's when God himself communicates with that person and tells them exactly what is on his mind, what he wants them to say or them to write down. Um, in Ephesians, well, no, pardon me, the Apostle Paul, so, pardon me, the Apostle John, so he was an apostle, was also a prophet. We have the book of Revelation. And uh, he wrote about future events, things that still have not taken place. Um, so he was both an apostle and a prophet. In the scripture, there are both men and women who are called prophets or prophetesses. Prophets were part of the foundational gift to the early church to establish the word of God and to proclaim the mind of God to his people. It includes foretelling or talking about future events that have not occurred yet, but it also includes teaching God's people truths that God was revealing for the first time. We could essentially say that every person who was um, a participant in writing the scripture, um, they were prophets. They received direct revelation from God and they wrote it down. Now, in the church, in the early church, there were guidelines to be followed when a prophet spoke, and we'll see that um, in greater detail in chapter 14, but just in, in commenting it here, about it here, the safeguards were meant to protect 
um, the church against false prophets. As I mentioned last week, every time there is a, a work of God going on, Satan will all often come in right behind it with a, um, um, yeah, counterfeit. <laughs> trying, to, trying hard to remember that word, counterfeit. Since God is no longer giving new revelation today, there are no prophets today. Since 1 Corinthians 13, hints of this gift of prophecy failing or vanishing, there are no prophets today. And since the foundation of the church has already been laid, this temporary gift ceased and is no longer an active gift today. I know of no one who legitimately thinks that God is speaking directly to them with new revelation. Now, there are many false prophets who claim that and, um, and, and have written books and everything else about it, but they're false prophets. They do not agree with the written word of God, and it is the written word of God that we can compare everything to. If it doesn't match up, they're false prophets. So now we know you don't have two of the gifts. So now they're down to 18. The third gift is verse 28 again. Is he says, third, teachers. This gift is actually seen in many of the lists of spiritual gifts. And so it's an important gift. What is uh, the mark of a, uh, of a teacher? It, it really is someone who loves the Word of God. They enjoy digging into the Word. They enjoy communicating it with others. And a teacher should make the scripture clearer to you. You should, if you're listening to a teacher, you should see the scripture and go, well, you know, this is confusing to me. But after I heard what you said, it makes sense to me now. I understand that. that that's part of the gift of teaching. Um, it's not a natural gift. Many people are teachers in schools and all the rest of it. It's not the same thing. This is communicating spiritual truths. Um, many people could teach the Bible from a, um, uh, you know, just for, as, a, as a book, as a subject. But uh, this is spiritual teaching that we're talking about here. A teacher is also disciplined. And by the way, a teacher could be a man or, or it could be a woman. The only uh, thing that, uh, that is um, spoken about in the scripture with regard to teaching is that a woman cannot do it publicly in the meetings of the church. So a teacher is disciplined. He or she must spend time in the Word and lots of time. Sometimes I think we have the idea that spiritual gifts are given to us and that we don't have to do anything about it. It's just, I have the gifts and I just get up and I just ramble on and on and on and on and on. It's never worked for me. The gift of teaching requires a lot of work, lots and lots and lots of time in the Word of God. Teachers study the meaning of the Scripture, the context, the history, geography, uh, and ultimately the application of the Scripture to the believer's lives. They compare Scripture with Scripture. A teacher must know how to properly understand and interpret the Scripture. Teachers must be able to distinguish who the audience is in the scripture, because you can read passages of scripture and go, oh my goodness, I need to go out and uh, fight a battle. And you say, well, no, that was actually a passage written for Israel for a particular time. 
That's not the application you're to take from this passage. And so you have to be able to distinguish these things uh, in the Scripture. You have to understand proper theology. Paul says it far exceeds the gift of tongues and that he would rather speak five words with his understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So five words that are understood are better than 10,000 words in a foreign tongue. Teachers should always be pouring themselves into the lives of others. Paul said to Timothy, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if this is your gift, you should be looking for your Timothy. If this is your gift as a woman, you should be looking for your Samantha. I mean, you're somebody to teach, to pour your life into. So I'm going to come out of Corinthians for just a minute and go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, because there's a gift there that is very similar to the gift of teaching, but I want to show you the distinction in this gift. Uh, this is a gift called pastor-teacher, pastor-teacher, and it's not pastor capital P, it's pastor-teacher. It's actually a compound word. It's a double gift. So you say, well, is there any such a thing in the body? Yeah, I have two eyes. I need to use both of them. I have two ears. I'm better off with two than with one. And so even in our physical body, we often have two parts uh, or two members that are, this, that are the same and work together. This double gift, pastor-teacher, is one of them. Now, I'm going to say one other thing. Pastor-teacher is not an office in the church. Okay? So when I say that, I mean there's no such thing as the pastor of a church. There's always a plurality of leaders within the church according to the New Testament teaching. And so the, the pastor part of this has to do with the work that this teacher is involved in. And he's, work, he's working in pastoral care. Um, Paul said in Acts chapter 20, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And so he's speaking to elders and he's saying, look, you're like shepherds. You are to have pastoral care for the flock, for the people. A pastor-teacher must also be on guard against wolves. In the same passage, Paul warns them that uh, wolves may come to uh, disrupt the flock or to go after the sheep, and they must watch men who try to establish a following after themselves. A pastor-teacher must be able to weep with those who weep and must be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. They must have a heart for people and a love that puts the needs of others above themselves. They must also be apt to teach because that's part of the qualification of um, biblical qualification of an elder. And it's the second part of this gift. The teacher part is demonstrated by the desire to not just give pastoral care, but to come alongside of people and say, look, here's where you have a misunderstanding of Scripture. 
Here's how you should apply the scripture in this particular circumstance in your life. It's giving, it's the desire to teach the whole counsel of God, to see areas of weakness and strengthen saints, to correct errors and lies and false doctrine, to warn and to admonish, and also to encourage and build up. A pastor teacher and a teacher um, works alongside of evangelists. Someone likened these two gifts, to these two gifted people working together. Um, they, they said, you know, it's like two doctors. One is an obstetrician and brings forth the child, gives birth, you know, helps them to, to come to birth. And the pastor teacher is the pediatrician, you know, helping them grow. And that's, that's a good illustration of it. Now, many individuals could have the gift of pastor teacher and not actually be an elder in the assembly. There could be men, many men actually, who exercise the gift at various stages in the life of the assembly. And it may surprise you to hear me say this, but I believe that even women can have the gift of pastor teacher. And um, the, the woman would not be qualified to exercise the gift as an elder because the scripture restricts that. But when you think of uh, a couple like Aquila and Priscilla, for example, um, husband and wife team, they shared their pastor-teacher hearts with Apollos and taught him the way of God more accurately. So there are many ministries, Paul had said earlier. There are many expressions of these gifts, and that would be one way. There are also many women who have a pastoral teaching ministry among women or among children. The gift is for today. Oh, good. We've got one on the list now. Okay, you can mark that. It is available today. It's one of the gifts the Holy Spirit gives to his church today. How do I know that? Well, because the Great Commission says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Has the Holy Spirit of God given you the gift of teaching or the gift of pastor teaching? If he has, are you using it uh, for the profit of all? Okay, the next is number five, miracles. He says, after that, miracles. It's striking to me that Paul uses numbers, first, second, third, he says, of, to emphasize the importance and order of apostles, prophets, and teachers. And then he says, after that, miracles. Why did he do it that way? Well, it seems to me that the Corinthian church dismissed the greater gifts as unimportant and emphasized the sign gifts as the premium gifts. These are the gifts you really want. Miracles, speaking in tongues, healings. Let's all have that. And let's just ignore the, the other gifts. You know, we don't want to talk about teaching and learning the scripture and knowing the truth. Let's just do stuff. And uh, they emphasize these sign gifts as kind of the premium gifts. Yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but earnestly desire the best or the greater gifts. And that should also be the counsel to churches today. What gifts will build up the body? Evangelists will. Teachers will. Pastor teachers will. Helpers will. Ministry, you know, so on. And we need those who have these gifts to step up to the plate and fulfill their, uh, or use their gifts to build up the church. 
miracles. This gift was a God-given supernatural ability to perform special signs to authenticate the ministry of the apostles and the message that they delivered. Paul uh, was given this gift and in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, it says this, and I want to listen to the emphasis of this. Now God worked unusual miracles. That term unusual miracles means that it, it is not a usual thing. It happened, but it was unusual. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them. It's quite an unusual gift. It's miraculous. This gift included the work of casting out demons and even raising the dead, being bitten by poisonous snakes and living to tell it. But the gift was not just a magic show. In fact, it wasn't a magic show at all. This was real. These were real things that happened to people. They were not tricks. They really happened. Uh, but the gift also included the pronouncement of death upon Ananias and Sapphira. This was a gift that authenticated the ministry of the apostles and the message they delivered. Now that we have their message delivered to us in written form here in the scripture, we no longer need this sign gift to authenticate their ministry or their message. So you say, well, does that mean that God can't do miracles today? No, I don't limit God at all. God can do whatever he wants to do. And it will always be consistent with his character and with his word. But the point of it is this. No one in the church has the gift of miracles today. So we've narrowed it down by yet one more gift. Um, you're not an apostle, you're not a prophet, and you're not a miracle worker. The next is gifts of healing. What is a gift of healing? This is a supernatural but temporary sign gift that very few believers ever had, but some did. Jesus, the apostles, the 70, and some early associates of the apostles in the New Testament had this gift. The interesting thing about this gift, it is so unlike um, what people say is a healing ministry today. Very unlike it. These people who God gave the spiritual gift of healings had the ability to instantaneously heal somebody and completely heal somebody and permanently heal somebody. Obviously not of death because they would, if somebody was even raised from the dead, they would obviously die again. But this was a uh, instantaneous healing. The purpose of the gift, why did God give this gift at all? It was a sign to confirm once again the messenger was sent by God and that the message being preached was the word of God. The other thing I want to stress here, because it's, again, unlike what we see today, it was a supernatural ability to heal various organic diseases and physical disabilities and even raise the dead. I know of no one who claims to be a faith healer today who can, can heal organic diseases. I know of no one. I know of a lot of people who say they do, None of it has been verified as far as I am aware. 
There are many, many religious frauds today who deceive gullible people. They have TV programs and healing uh, meetings, but this gift no longer exists. It was a temporary gift. And as the teachings of the apostles and prophets ended, so did the sign gifts. In fact, if you do a study in the book of Acts, you will see this gift diminishing more and more and more as you go through the book of Acts. Let me give you some examples. If we take Paul, he clearly had the gift of healing. Um, and so I mentioned this passage before Acts 19, where the, even so much as the handkerchiefs and um, that were carried from his body to those who were sick and they were healed. He healed an old man on the island of Melita. He raised a young man named Eutychus from the dead after he fell from a third story window. But as time went on in the book of Acts, we see that Paul could not even heal himself. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, he says, and he prayed three times that God would remove it. Paul, somebody who could heal others, could not heal himself. God did not allow that. Then we read that Paul could not heal Epaphroditus. Is it because Paul lacked faith? Absolutely not. But the ministry was waning. Um, Epaphroditus was, now, was a believer. He did not need the sign gift to authenticate Paul's ministry or his message. Uh, Timothy, who, whom Paul had as his own disciple, Paul did not heal. He had stomach ailments and infirmities, and Paul said, take a little wine uh, for your stomach's uh, ailments, and, and Paul did not heal him. And then it says also in 2 Timothy 4.20 that Paul left Trophimus sick at Miletus. So the gift itself has ceased. There's no person in the body of Christ who has the supernatural gift of healing today. But does God heal? And the answer is yes, he does. In fact, any legitimate doctor will tell you that there's only so much he or she can do and ultimately it's left in God's hands to heal a person. It's not a question of God's ability. But there's no one in the church who has an active gift of healing. Why do I say that? Well, because the gifts are given for the building up of the church, for the benefit of the church. And you would think that if a person had this gift of healing today, that they would go into every church in the world, one Sunday after the other, healing the saints of their sicknesses. And that just doesn't happen. And after they finished their, their um, lifelong journey of going to church after church after church, healing people of organic diseases and making them fully well, then they could start with the hospitals and start emptying the hospitals. It doesn't happen. It becomes a sideshow, a roadshow, a three-ring circus, and it's all about them. And so much of it, as I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, is absolutely fake. There's no longer a need to confirm the apostles' teaching, to confirm that they are messengers of the Lord. Does God heal? Yes, he does. Can he heal today? Yes, he can. But it's not through a faith healer. God can do it as a result of our prayers. and We pray and ask the Lord to heal. And if it's his will, he will. And if it's not his will, he won't. God, Christians can ask God to heal them, but he is not under obligation to do so. There is no blanket promise in the scripture of physical healing in this life. 
Many of us know from personal experience, however, that God is merciful. And he often chooses to heal. Finally, with regard to healing, and we're going to um, end here today. There are a couple of verses that suggest that healings do come to believers when they repent of sins. It's interesting. A few weeks ago, we looked at a passage uh, concerning the Lord's Supper. And in the teaching in that passage, it says that um, some had partaken of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, not considering the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Paul said, some, some of you are sick as a result of it. Some of your members have even died as a result of it. Also, when a person has been put out of fellowship, the Bible tells us that we are actually turning them over to Satan. Um, and really, it's for the destruction of the flesh, the destruction of their bodies. But if they repent, what happens then? Very often, the Lord heals them. Very often, the Lord honors their repentance by healing them of whatever sickness or ailment they, they have. And finally, in James, we read this, that if a believer knows that they are sick because of some sin in their life, and that person calls for the elders, obviously they're repentant, that's why they're calling for the elders, and the elders are to anoint that person with oil and pray for him, and it says very plainly, the prayer of faith will heal him. This is not an active gift of healing, but it is the Lord's mercy to those who have repented of their sins. So we're going to pick up next week, Lord willing. I know you're hungry. You smell the food. You're ready to eat. We're going to pick up um, number seven, which is about helps and service. And you're going to see it actively um, uh, displayed here in just a few minutes as we eat. But let's just close in prayer. Matt, do you want me to pray for the food at the same time? Okay, let's just do that and, and then we'll um, go for it. Lord, we thank you so much for the gifts that you have given to the church, some for, that were temporary and yet benefit us uh, for the entire length of the church. We thank you for the apostles, the prophets, the teachers that you have given uh, for the whole church. And we thank you, Lord, for the expression of some of the teachers and pastor teachers um, in our midst. We thank you for all of the gifts that you have given. And we pray, Lord, that we might exercise these gifts um, to, the, to the best of our ability and the strength that you give to us. We thank you, Lord, for your provision for your church. And we just ask you that we might grow as a result of the exercise of these gifts. Lord, we thank you also for those who have a servant's heart and have prepared a meal for us today. We thank you for the um, many different foods that you've given to us, the uh, tastes and the things that we can enjoy. We ask your blessing on it, Lord, and ask you to give us strength and enjoyment today. In Jesus' name, amen.